Let's go to Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2 this morning is where we're going to land. We have been working our way through the book of Malachi this summer, uh, looking at how to keep the first things first in our relationship with God and in our walk with Him, and making sure that, he, uh, that, we are, that we're keeping the spiritual things of our life in step with the Lord, and He's going to challenge us again on that today uh, from this text in Malachi chapter 2. Um, and today He's going to kind of really narrow in on spiritual leadership and uh, spiritual leaders in the church. And I know some of you might be thinking, well, that really, doesn't really apply to me. I don't consider myself a leader or a spiritual leader. Um, but I think that you are. And I think that some of you are going to be in even greater ways than you know right now in the days ahead. And I think God has something for you today from this text. So please don't zone out on me. And uh, let's see what God has for all of us together this morning as we go to Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Um, so as I was thinking about leaders this week, and it was 4th of July and all that kind of stuff, I thought about George Washington. You know, George Washington is perhaps one of the most beloved presidents in all of American history. Uh, he, not only because he was the first president, but also because he fulfilled his role with the greatest integrity and intentionality. Uh, he's kind of that one that everyone looks to as the example. He, he knew everything that he did in office would set a precedent for future presidents and just for democracy as a whole, as this new thing was starting up here in America. And so he was called to step into this role where he had to exercise undefined power, both with this balance of resolve and yet restraint, and work all that together in a way that would lead the country well. And he did this in several different ways. I just wrote down some examples. Um, he rejected titles for himself like His Excellency, and chose to go with something a little bit more uh, democratic, like Mr. President, um, that we still use to this day. That was set by George Washington himself. He appointed a cabinet of people to advise him and to help him rule in this new era. He um, made sure that he respected the separation of powers that was set up by the Constitution. But I think the thing that was maybe most impactful, honestly, was the way he left. George Washington chose to step down from the presidency after only two terms in office, even though the country was begging him to keep going, because he knew that he was setting a precedent for future presidents that this was not going to be a monarchy. This was not going to be a dictatorship. This was not going to be a, a lifelong role. This was a role that needed to retain the power at all costs in the role and in the process of serving the people, not in the person. And George Washington understood that calling that he had on himself to step in to lead our country in this way. And that's why he was a primo leader, because he did not compromise that calling when he could have done a big power grab at the beginning of the United States. That same example, that same principle applies to those that God calls to lead his people, to lead his church. He says that to be a steadfast spiritual leader, I cannot compromise my call. To be a steadfast spiritual leader, I cannot compromise my call from the Lord. And he's going to define for us what that looks like in this text in Malachi chapter 2. So take a look at me with verse 1, and we'll dive in this morning. It says, And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring, and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. 
so shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. First point this morning is this. Steadfast spiritual leaders honor God in their calling. Honor God in their calling. So he starts off here and he's addressing priests. Okay, so let's get some context for that. Priests during this time period were the spiritual leaders of Israel. Okay, they would be attuned today to like pastors or elders, our spiritual leaders of the church. Priests were the spiritual leaders of God's people during this time period. So he's talking here to spiritual leaders, and he's, he's narrowing his focus. If you were here a couple weeks ago, when we did the end of chapter 1, he kind of talked to the whole of Israel about their worship. Now he's going to kind of narrow that down and talk to the leaders about how they're leading God's people in lives of worship. And he says to them, he says, this command is for you. He's going to use that same phrase again, just a little bit later. This command, he says it twice, and the second time he ties that command to the covenant with Levi. So let's do a little background work. Let's look, who is Levi? What covenant is he talking about? Where is this coming from? So just a little bit of background on that this morning. First of all, Levi was one of the 12 original sons and one of the 12 original tribes of Israel, Right? And so, um, most notably for the tribe of Levi, though, it was the tribe from which Moses and Aaron came, right? Moses, a lot of us know, was the man that God called to lead his people out of captivity, out of Egypt, and back to the promised land. What you might not know is that his brother Aaron was called and commanded by God to be the first priest, to be the first high priest. And from that point forward, all of the priests of Israel would come from the clan or the family of Aaron. And therefore, they were Levites. And that's what he's referring to here. And so, if we fast forward a little bit then to Exodus 32, Moses is up on Mount Sinai. He's getting the Ten Commandments and all the law from God. And he comes down after being up there for a long time to find that Aaron and the people have started worshiping a false god. They've created this golden calf, and they're all sideways and going off the rails. And he takes the tablets, and he breaks them, as we've all seen, right? And he, he destroyed, and he's so irate that they're worshiping this false god. And he comes to the entrance to the camp, and in verse 26, he says, Who is on the Lord's side? Who will defend the Lord? Who will defend the honor of God in his worship? And it says, Come to me, and all the sons of Levi gathered around him. Out of all the tribes of Israel, only the sons of Levi came to stand to defend God's honor in worship. And then they went throughout the camp and they executed God's wrath on all those who were engaging in false worship. And then in verse 29, it says, Moses said to the Levites, today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord. And this seems to be the start of this covenant that God creates with Levi and the priests. Okay, And it seems that, that this is the calling that he's referring to here in this section in Malachi as well. If we go forward and later in Deuteronomy chapters 10 and then in, ver- in, in chapter 33, Moses again would appoint the Levites to carry the Ark of the Covenant, which was like the holiest piece of their center of their worship, and to minister before the Lord to the people by counseling them, by teaching them, by offering their sacrifices in the, in the tabernacle and in worship and then eventually in the temple. In other words, God called the Levites through this series of events to be the spiritual leaders of Israel. 
And it's that same calling and command that he's now referring to here as the covenant with Levi. But notice what he says to them. He says, if you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart. You see, the priests of Malachi's day, they were neglecting this covenant. They were abandoning their calling to be the spiritual leaders that God had called them to be and to lead them in proper worship. And so God says, because you will not listen, I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. In other words, God's going to curse them because they have broken the covenant with him. They're not doing their part. They're not following through. They've compromised the calling that God has placed on their life. And the blessings here, he says, I'll curse your blessings. The blessings he's referring to are all the blessings that come with the privilege and the honor of being called to serve the Lord. You see, back in this day, being a priest was the most highly honored, most prestigious, most desired role and job in all of Israel. Priests were the top, right? They'd been given an honor and a privilege to be called into this role, but they didn't see it that way anymore. And just as a side note for this, I just want to make clear for our church at least that like being called into ministry especially into vocational ministry for pastors, is a great honor and privilege. So many times I'll have people talk to me about being a pastor and how hard it is and all the difficulty of it and the long hours and you're always on, you have to carry everyone else's burdens and, and you, you maybe don't get as much pay as others. and all, all, that, all of that is true at times. But I can tell you this, if God has called you to be a pastor, to be an elder, to serve in ministry somewhere, it is the greatest honor and privilege. And we believe that. We say that oftentimes in our staff. Like it is an honor and privilege to get to serve you and to serve the Lord in this capacity. I get to work for God full time. The rest of y'all have to go to like boring jobs. I get to work for God all the time. The priests had lost their sense of calling and privilege and honor that God had bestowed upon them. And he says, therefore, I will curse your blessings and I will rebuke your offspring because they had missed it. They were now leading their next generation to not worship God either and because they were following in their um, family's wickedness of this neglecting their calling, they too would be rebuked. And then he says this, he says, and I'll spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings. That's just gross, right? We could just say that. That's gross. And I don't know if he's talking about literally doing that or not, but I know metaphorically, specifically, what he's talking about. You see, the priests, when they would do the offerings in the tabernacle or the temple, obviously it's animals, and we all know that animals create dung. And, but because of all of what it is, they could not touch it. The priests were not allowed to touch that because it would make them unclean. So someone else's job was to get rid of that stuff so the priests didn't have to touch it. And so God's saying... I'm not just going to have you touch it. I'm going to spread it all over you so that you are unclean. So that you are now unfit to do the job, to do the calling that you've been neglecting. It's his rejection of them. He's disqualifying them. He's even humiliating them because they have abandoned the calling that God has given them to lead his people. And then he says, you shall be taken away with it. 
That same dung was taken outside of the city and discarded and burned because and, and it was unclean. Or they had to get it out and away from the people and away from God. He says, just like that, you're going to go. I'm going to send you out of my presence, away from my people. No longer will you have this access to me. No longer will you have this privilege of being with me because you've neglected the calling that I've put on your life. And it all seems really harsh. But look at what he says next. He says, so that my covenant with Levi may stand. See, God's purpose in doing this to the priest, it wasn't to be punished, it wasn't to be punitive or vindictive. He wasn't trying to like, just really like, you know, rub their faces in it, so to speak. He was desiring to faithfully uphold the covenant that he had created that he had made so that they could that proper worship could continue he wanted he was he's calling these wayward priests to task saying you need to step up you need to step back into the calling that i've given you god say my worship will continue This covenant will be fulfilled with you or without you. So you can either repent and get back on board or you can be removed. Which is it going to be? You know, just over a month ago, um, the Christian community lost one of its most influential leaders of the past century. Um, Pastor, author, church planter, Timothy Keller or Tim Keller passed away. And um, it was a great loss for the church, for sure. Um, But when we look at his life, when we look at his ministry, he served the Lord so faithfully right up to the very end. Still teaching, still serving, still leading God's church in so many powerful ways. And we could come up, if we we had a little conversation this morning, we could come up with a whole list of leaders that would fit that criterion. Men who faithfully served the Lord for generation after generation and went all the way to the end in faithfully serving God. But unfortunately, we could also probably come up with an equally lengthy list of men who burned out and blew up in ministry long before it was time. Sometimes it was due to moral failures. Sometimes it was due to financial indiscretions or abusive leadership or just plain old ego getting in the way. But no matter what the outward failure was, it didn't start there. Right? It started in their hearts. It started inward where they started to neglect the honor of the Lord and the blessing and the privilege of their calling. They started making ministry not about God, but about themselves. And putting themselves at the center. And so you see this warning here, this calling that God has in Malachi chapter 2, it's just as much for today, it applies just as much to spiritual leaders today as it did in Malachi's day. To pastors, to elders. It is God who calls us. God calls pastors. God calls elders. He puts them in their positions of leadership. Let me give you some verses for that. Acts 20, 28 says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God that he, which he obtained with his own blood. 
See that there the Holy Spirit made you overseers. God is the one who calls and puts us in uh, positions of spiritual leadership. Another one is Ephesians 4.11. says, And it was he, God, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. God calls, God equips, God places us in those positions to honor him, to fulfill our calling, not honor ourselves. Now, again, I know many of you are probably sitting there thinking like, okay, that's all great, Micah, but that's not me. <laughs> I'm not a pastor, I'm not an elder, and, and that's fine, but I, I think that there are some in our church that in the days ahead, in the years ahead, God's going to call you to something. He's going to call you to be an elder, or maybe even a pastor. Maybe he's going to call you to be a missionary somewhere. He's going to call you to be our next church planter, and we're going to send you out, and we're going to see another church burst. He's going to call you to something, maybe it's even spiritual leadership in our church, to be a small group leader, or just like God calls his people to lead in honoring and worshiping him. And so I want to give you just a couple questions to think through, to discern, am I called? Am I called to spiritual leadership in whatever capacity that might look like? All right? Three things that you need to think about on spiritual leadership. Number one is aspiration. Do you aspire to spiritual leadership? Has God put a desire in your heart to serve him and to serve his people in this way. We see this in 1 Timothy 3.1. It says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. If anyone aspires, if anyone desires to do that, he says, God, that's a good thing. It's a good desire that I have put inside of you. So first, there has to be aspiration. There has to be desire to be a spiritual leader. Secondly, we're looking for Affirmation. Affirmation. Do others affirm your calling? Do others look at you and say, yes, I see God working in your life. I see him calling you to this. In 1 Timothy 4.14, Paul says, do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So Paul's reminding Timothy, like, hey, remember whenever God called you to be a pastor and I was there and the elders were there and they all affirmed that and they said, yes, we agree and they laid their hands on you and prayed for you? That's a great sign that you are on the road to spiritual leadership is that other spiritual leaders in the church are seeing God work in your life and saying, yes, yes, we affirm God is doing something here. So is there aspiration? Is there affirmation? And then thirdly, is there opportunity? Has God opened a door to ministry? When you think about the, in the Bible about spiritual leaders, right, they didn't go out and create their own opportunities, God opened up the door. He invited them into opportunities that he had for them when they were ready. Abraham, Moses, David, Paul, all of these guys, they didn't go after it themselves. God invited them and he called them in. He opened the door of opportunity. And so God is the one who calls us. He's the one who equips us. And he's the one who appoints spiritual leaders through these three steps. Aspiration, affirmation, opportunity. And we, our job is just to simply humbly receive that calling 
and seek to walk with God and honor him in it. And so I would challenge you, maybe today, maybe in the months or days or years ahead, like be asking the Lord, am I called? Are you calling me to something bigger, something better, something next in terms of spiritual leadership? So steadfast spiritual leaders honor God in their calling. That's the first thing. Number two, look at verse five. Verse five, he goes on, he says, my covenant, this covenant with Levi, right? My covenant with him was one of life and peace and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. Point number two, steadfast spiritual leaders honor God in their hearts. This is so important. This is probably the most important point of the whole day. That they honor God in their hearts. Notice when he starts off talking about the covenant, he says it's my covenant. God claims it, right? God's like, it's mine. It's my covenant of life and peace, and I gave it to him. Right? It's from God's hands. Without God giving Levi life and peace, he would have nothing. If you know anything about Levi's story, I can't get into all that today. They were jacked up, okay? Like they had a whole lot of problems. And they were headed for death and turmoil and all kinds of things. And God, not because they earned it, not because they did anything special, he chose to call them. He owned it. He initiated it. He provided what was necessary for them to follow him in this covenant. So it was a covenant of life and peace. He gave life and peace to the Levites through this. And then he says also it was a covenant of fear and awe. Now he's describing not what he gave, but how they responded, right? They responded in fear because they understood God's holiness. We're just saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, right? They understood that God was holy and that they were sinful and that he would be fully justified in punishing them and in sending them to hell and in incurring his wrath. All of that would have been good. And so they feared his holiness, but they also stood in awe of him. In awe that he was the God of all things. And they put their faith in him, and they believed in him, and they loved him, and they submitted to him, and they worshipped him in awe. And so in this covenant of Levi, we actually have this great little picture of the gospel. It's all the same pieces, right? That God knew that we were sinners stuck in our sin, couldn't fix it, couldn't save ourselves, couldn't get out. And the holy God of the universe, instead of punishing us and seeing his wrath towards us, he sent his son to come to be born as a man, to live a perfect and sinless life. And then Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sin to take the wrath and the debt that we owed and he put it on himself and he died in our place and went to the grave and three days later he rose back to life to offer us life and peace. But we have to respond with fear and awe. Believing that he is the holy God who deserves our worship and submitting ourselves to him in faith. So you see, God's calling on spiritual leaders, it always starts first with Him calling us to salvation. 
You can't get to spiritual leadership until you get salvation. Until the gospel has come and changed your heart and you've responded to the God of the universe in fear and awe and He has filled you with His life and peace. Spiritual leadership doesn't start with competence. It doesn't start with charisma or capacity. When we start with those criteria, we get the wrong spiritual leaders who blow themselves up and blow the church up and leave a streak of spiritual carnage in the wake. And some of you have seen it, some of you have experienced it, some of you have been impacted by it. Because they didn't put the first things first. God says, first, spiritual leaders start with character. They start with a heart for God, a heart that's been transformed by the gospel of grace and understands that all we have is the Lord, and He has transformed them and He's leading them to honor Him and worship Him above all else. And without that foundation, you are not fit for spiritual leadership. If you don't have a heart that's been changed by the gospel, you're not ready. You're not fit. That's the foundation for spiritual leadership. And what that applies to is not, again, not just pastors and elders, that applies to all levels of spiritual leadership. And some of you are thinking right now, like, Micah, this is not me. I've never been a leader a day in my life. I am not, this, I'm not. This is not me. I would say it is you. Because if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have put your faith in Jesus, he has called you then to be a disciple maker, to lead other people to know him, to share your testimony, to, to point other people to Jesus. And even that small step makes you a spiritual leader to that person. Every time you share your faith, every time you teach someone else about the gospel, you're taking a role of spiritual leadership in their life, and it starts with you having a heart that is sold out for Jesus and knows that if they don't hear the good news of Christ, they're going to be lost, and they're going to suffer in hell forever. So every one of us has some level of spiritual leadership. Some of you have called to, been called to be husbands and to spiritually lead your wives. Some of you are called to be parents and spiritually lead your children. Some of you are called to serve in our kids' ministry, and our student ministry, and you're discipling and you're spiritually leading the next generation in our own church to follow Jesus. Some of you are small group leaders. Some of you are ministry team leaders. Some of you will be deacons or elders in the future. And you are called to spiritually lead at whatever level God has placed you. And it starts with having a heart that is sold out to Jesus and changed by the gospel. Honoring Him in worship. We have uh, three daughters, for those of you who are maybe new, and as they're getting a little bit older, they're, they're wanting to, to start serving in more and more roles in the church. And as soon as they get out of kids' ministry, they're like, all right, well, where can I go? Like, where am I going? Where am I serving? They want to jump in. They want to do the thing. And so it's kind of led, it's, it's great, we love that, but it's led to some conversations about why do you want to serve in these different roles, right? Is it just so you can get a little bit of power and have some authority over other kids and maybe especially your sisters? 
Um, is it so you can just you know, get out of some of Dad's sermons on Sunday morning? You don't have to sit there for two services? Um, is it so you can get an invite to the Harveys? Well, of course. Who doesn't want an invite to the Harveys, right? Like that's coming up, by the way, September 7th. Mark your calendars. Um, and so all of that's fine, but the main reason we serve, the real reason we serve, The real question is, do I have a heart to worship and serve the Lord? Doesn't matter what skills you have, doesn't matter how old you are or how much people like you or how long you get along with how well you get along with people. The question is, is my first and greatest desire to honor the Lord? That's the entry to spiritual leadership. To serving him. The biggest church hurt comes when men and women are given spiritual leadership before they're ready for it. Because their heart hasn't been tested. They have the giftings, they have the charisma, they have the drive, but they don't have the heart that's captured by the grace of the gospel. And so they're not ready. So when you're considering spiritual leadership, the first question has to be, is my heart ready for spiritual leadership? Heart first. Spiritual leaders honor the Lord from their heart. So honor Him in in the calling, honor Him in our hearts. And then number three, look at verse six. He goes on, he says, True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. So he's painting this picture of what a a good priest, a good Levite looks like that's functioning in his calling. And then he's going to compare that with the priests of Malachi's day. Keep going. Look at verse 8. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Number three, steadfast spiritual leaders honor God in their instruction. In their instruction. That word is used four times in these three verses. It bookends both ends, showing us that the the most important quality beyond the heart of a spiritual leader is their instruction. And he's going to lay out here three different modes of instruction for spiritual leaders. He's going to compare what a good one looks like and what a bad one looks like. The first mode is teaching. Teaching is instruction with words, right? He said right there, true instruction was found in his mouth and no wrong was found on his lips. The best way to guarantee that no wrong is found on your lips as a teacher is to just teach the Bible. Because everything in here is true. The moment that I start trying to teach you something from my own mind or my own ideas, like that's going bad real quick. Right, Because I make mistakes all the time. But God doesn't. God makes no mistakes. And so if it's coming from Him, if it's coming from His Word, it will always be 
true instruction. Second Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. True instruction. He goes on, he says, Priests guard knowledge. Meaning that they're, they, they're careful with their words when they're teaching. Because they want to make sure they're saying what is true. They want to guard against any false teaching coming from themselves out of ignorance or coming from others. And the best way to guard against false teaching from others is to just teach true instruction from God's Word. James 3.1 gives us a warning. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. There's a responsibility that comes with the calling of spiritual leadership to speak true instruction and guard knowledge. And God will evaluate that for teachers. He keeps going, he says, people should seek instruction from his mouth, from the priest. Why? Because he is the messenger of God. No greater description could be used for a spiritual leader than they are the messenger of God. That they only say what God says. That's the kind of spiritual leader that you want to follow. That's the kind of spiritual leader that you need to find. Do they speak what God speaks? But the priests of Malachi's day, they weren't giving that kind of godly instruction. It says here they were causing many to stumble by their instruction. In other words, they were leading people away from God rather than to God by their teaching. Because, he says, they had corrupted the covenant. By dishonoring God with their false teaching, they made it about themselves instead of about him. And friends, unfortunately, the same is true today. In our world today, there are true teachers and there are corrupt teachers. And we must seek out God's true teachers. And we know that by his word. In 2 Timothy 4, 3-4, Paul warns us about this. He says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We need true teaching from spiritual leaders. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. They are responsible. They are held accountable by God to teach you his word in such a way that your souls are pointed to and drawn to him as those who will have to give an account to the Lord for how they taught, how they led. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. We seek spiritual leaders who teach God's word. Who give true instruction. So the first mode of, t- of instruction is teaching. The second one is modeling. Modeling means teaching with, uh, or instruction with actions. Instruction with your lifestyle. It's leading by example, which is a very, very powerful teacher. He says here that the priest, he says, he walked with me. 
See, spiritual leaders, they don't just teach God's word, they have to live by God's word. They have to walk it out. Not just talk the talk, but walk the walk, right? Like they have to, to live what God is saying. He says, He walked with me in peace and uprightness. In other words, in full harmony with God and in moral integrity before Him. But the priest of Malachi's day, he says, they turned aside from the way. They didn't walk on the way with God, they turned aside from the way and they didn't keep God's ways. They were hypocrites. Teaching one thing and then living a completely different life. They did not model how to honor God. And what's interesting to me is when we go to the New Testament, we go to the Gospels, Jesus saved some of his strongest criticism for spiritual leaders who were living as hypocrites. He said in Matthew 23, 3, they preach but they do not practice. They preach, they say it, they teach it, but they don't model it, they don't live it. And then he followed that with all these woes that he pronounced on them for their hypocritical leadership. Because God still has the same call for spiritual leaders today. To instruct through modeling the gospel with their lives. 1 Peter 5.3 says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. The spiritual leaders were called to be examples, to model steadfast spiritual leadership as well. So first through teaching, second through modeling, and then thirdly through rebuking. This is the one that's maybe the least fun. It's instruction with warnings. He says here, calling people out of their sin through repentance. He says he turned many from iniquity. That a good priest turns many. He speaks the truth in love. And he calls God's people to repent of their sin. And follow the Lord. This is the opposite of what we call people pleasing today. Right? People pleasing is me telling people what they want to hear so they'll like me. Rebuking or teaching God's words is telling people what they need to hear so they'll love God, not like me. He says you've got to turn them from iniquity, but the spiritual leaders of Malachi's day, they were showing partiality in their instruction, meaning they were pandering to people. They were telling them what they wanted to hear. They, they changed the message of God to make it more palatable for the people and more beneficial for themselves. And friends, let me just tell you, God will not tolerate that kind of spiritual leader. 1 Thessalonians 2.4 says, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. That's the mark of a true spiritual leader. Steadfast spiritual leaders please God, not men, with their instruction. Teaching, modeling, rebuking. So as you think about your spiritual leadership at whatever level that looks like, whether it's just discipling another person, whether it's your family, whether it's here at church, whether it's a small group, whether whatever that looks like, Am I seeking and giving instruction 
that honors God? Am I seeking and giving instruction that honors God? Leaders aren't just teachers, they're also learners. And so to be a spiritual leader, I must continually be humble enough to hear from God and then brave enough to speak what God says. That's what instruction looks like. But the goal is always the same. Honoring the Lord. So to be a steadfast spiritual leader, I cannot compromise my call. If you're in spiritual leadership, God has called you to that. And he's put that on your life. And there are all kinds of different leaders in our world today. There's charismatic leaders like celebrities and athletes that everyone listens to them and follows them just because they think they're cool or they like them for whatever reason they do. There are transactional leaders like politicians and social media influencers who they'll lead you whatever direction you want to go as long as you give them your vote or give them your money or give them your likes. There's autocratic leaders. The CEOs, the top of the company, they're just driving to the end product and no matter who they run over because they're going to get it done. All different types of leaders, but you know what they all have in common? They're all leading for the same person, for themselves. Spiritual leaders are called to be different. We're not called to lead to honor ourselves. We're called to lead to honor the Lord. And the only way we can fulfill that calling is to have a heart that's full of love for the Lord and a life that is full of learning from the Lord. And then, and only then, we fulfill our call to be spiritual leaders. Stand with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We praise you today, Lord, for just the truth of your word. God, that you always tell us what we need to hear, not just what we want to hear. And more than anything, Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to honor you with our worship. We want to honor you with our lives. We want to honor you with our leadership. And so, Lord, check our hearts today. Right now, in this place, Lord, as we pray, as we sing, Lord, check our hearts. Teach us how to love, how to honor you first so that we are fit for your service, so that we are fit for spiritual leadership. Lord, we are your servants. Use us for your glory. We give our hearts to you and to your call today. We just pray all this in Christ's name.